All right, now this sermon sort of writes itself, right? I mean, you heard the phrase, your son, your only son. And so you already know how the sermon is going to end. It, it ends with that great gospel truth announced to us in, in the Gospel of John. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So you already hear the echoes of the gospel in Genesis 22. You don't have to have spent much time at church to already be able to figure out where we're going. See, we, we want this passage to have a quick resolution. We can get there quickly. But I think, though, we need to slow down. Even as I've already given away the ending, we need to, to slow down and feel the weight of the story, to feel the sorrow and the sadness here so that we can understand the good news which is announced to us that God loved us enough to offer his son for us. See, this passage gives us a clear example of love. But if we resolve the tension too quickly, then perhaps we will miss the conclusion. The passage begins with the test that God sets for Abraham. Look at verse 1 of Genesis 22. We read, sometime later, God tested Abraham. Now, we don't know how long this has been. It's been, though, a lengthy amount of time since, since chapter 21. But you and I have information here that Abraham doesn't have. You and I know that this is a test of the faith of Abraham. The problem is, for Abraham, it's just life as it comes at him. And that's the challenge you and I face is that often the, the struggles we have, we don't know exactly how God is at work. We don't understand what he is doing. Life just is thrown at us because what is thrown at Abraham is the voice of God calling his name Abraham. The clear reply from Abraham, here I am. And then look at verse 2, the command that God places upon Abraham, the test that is placed upon him. Verse 2, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. Go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering. The horror of what has been asked of Abraham. Take your son and sacrifice him. Slay him on the altar. Slaughter him as a sacrifice. Take his body and then let it be consumed in the fire. The horror of it, the, it is intensified by, by the way in which God introduces Isaac. The repetition there in verse 2, take your son. Which son? Your only son. Now, Abraham has other sons. We've already met Ishmael, but he means your only son of the promise. Take your son, your only son, Isaac. Not merely a son of the promise, but the son whom you love. The horror of what is being asked here. I mean, no other story in the Old Testament, commentators point out, no other story in the Old Testament uh, has such haunting beauty in what takes place. And yet, and yet the, it, there's a horror here as well. Take your son. 
your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and sacrifice him. Now we might think, is God a cruel God? I mean, there are certain things we would expect God to ask us to do. Those kind of religious type things, but, but this is surely over the line by anyone's standards, right? Isn't this an immoral command that God, God is, is just a monster here to ask Abraham to do that. And yes, I think if we only had verse 2, yes. If, if verse 2 was the whole chapter, then we would feel the, the, the horror of what God is asking him to do. But, but in the context of the whole chapter, the command is met by a provision from God himself. We see God's love. But maybe for you, even if we can sidestep the problem here in Genesis 22, you, you wrestle with that question. Isn't, isn't Christianity at its core problematic? I mean, some have gone so far to say a, a theologian who, who would consider himself a Christian, although I don't think by any reasonable use of that word is Christian, he, he calls Christianity a story of divine child abuse. Because what is, what is the core of the Christian message? I, you, you, you heard me read it from John 3.16, that God took his son and killed him. That is not a happy story. And yes, the, the abuse of children is something we should reject, but, but to call Christianity divine child abuse is to miss the reality of what takes place. Because Jesus is one with all power and authority and dominion. He is not in a, in a place where he can be taken advantage of. And Jesus willingly goes to the cross. The, the story of Christianity is the story of an atoning sacrifice, one who dies willingly in the place of another. And yet, yet we feel like God has pushed us right to the very edge right to the edge of what could be asked of anyone. Take your son, whom you love, and sacrifice him. See, the test is, will Abraham obey God? Will he trust in the God of the promise, even when the very promise itself is under threat? The son to be sacrificed is the son of the promise. Will Abraham obey God? Will he trust in the God of the promise? And so look at Abraham's response to this test. Look at verse 3. Early the next morning. There is no delay in Abraham's response. Just like in chapter 21, we're told when Abraham rises, he rises early in the morning. He saddles the donkey. He gets ready for the journey. His faith is a faith that, that comes with an immediate response. But it's not some whim because look at verse 4. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place. Even if that first day he went ahead without thinking clearly, he's had days to ponder this. He has had likely sleepless nights wrestling with God, staring at the stars, the stars which were promised to him, that his descendants would be as numerous as those stars. And yet without this boy, those promises disappear. 
Abraham's response is immediate and committed. Even after having time to rethink the command of God, he continues. And we're given glimpses here of of Abraham's faith, of the depth of his faith. Look at verse 5. When he tells his servants as they're nearing the place on the third day of their journey, he says to the servants in verse 5, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we, we will come back to you. Already here, he's speaking in the plural. We, the boy who I will kill, he and I will return to you. Or, or, or jump ahead to see the glimpse of, of, of Abraham's faith in the conversation that, that takes place in those verses which follow. Look at verse 8. As Abraham is answering Isaac's question, where is the lamb? Look at verse 8. God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. The Lord will provide. We see a glimpse of faith in this man where he is looking at the promise of God and says that we will go and worship, we will return. God himself will provide. But if, but if here in Genesis 22 we have, a, we have a picture of Abraham's faith, we also have a picture of, of Isaac's faith, of his cooperative faith. We, we don't know exactly how old Isaac is here because the chapter began without a de- definite time reference. It's sometime later. But, but notice as they're, as they're about to head up the mountain, look at verse 6. As they leave the servants behind, Isaac is at least old enough and strong enough to carry the wood for the sacrifice, which in his mind is at least enough wood to kill a lamb. In Abraham's mind is at least enough wood to, to consume the body of his son, which means however old he is, he is big enough and strong enough to get to the top of this mountain with all of this wood on him. Now, we know how old Abraham is. He's at least 100 plus whatever age Isaac is, which means if he's strong enough to get up a mountain with this wood on him, he is strong enough to overpower his father. He's fast enough to outrun him. He doesn't even have to get very far. He just has to get out of reach of the ropes which will be used to bind him. And yet as we reach the top of the mountain, we see him bound and laid upon the wood on the altar. We see the cooperative faith of Isaac. And their relationship of father and son is emphasized for us in the repetition of those words in this chapter, even unnecessarily so. Just just look at verse 7. Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Wait, which father? We already know who his father is. He said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son. The conversation as it's relayed to us emphasizes this relationship, a relationship which has clearly developed a trust and a faith in God that the son is willing to trust the command that's been given to his father and to cooperate with him. And yet we feel the horror, the horror of what's happening here. A father taking his beloved son, binding him, and laying him upon the wood of an altar. Cameron Cole was out of town on business. 
when he realized that he'd missed three phone calls within a minute from his wife. So when he dialed her back, he says, I then encountered a voice of terror. He says, I received the worst news imaginable. My wife pleaded with me to drive to the children's hospital as soon as possible. She would offer no explanation. So I pressed her. I pressed her for more until she reluctantly delivered the worst news of my life. Cam is dead. His wife, Lauren, had found their three-year-old dead in his bed. Through tears, she's explaining that the paramedics are here. They're trying to revive him, but there is, there is no hope. What does faith look like in the worst moments of life? What does it look like when the world comes crashing down around you, when that phone call that you feared is here? The worst news it has entered your life. What does faith look like in those moments? And consider for Abraham, the the horror that he's experienced, he knows is directly from God. God told him, take your son and sacrifice him. And so Abraham's faith, Abraham's response, his story is a story of radical faith and obedience. A willingness to trust God even when he couldn't understand what was going to take place. When the very promises of God, the words of God himself, that this son, it's through this son that you will be blessed. That the very promises of God were under threat. What does faith look like in that kind of moment? Because for Abraham, the death of Isaac would mean the very end of the promise. God would have shown himself to be a God who is can't be trusted, a God who is not reliable, a God who has failed. And so as one commentator points out, this passage forces us to ask this question. Am I willing to believe God's ability to do what he has promised without my help? Am I willing to believe God's ability to do what he's promised, even when I can't understand it? Am I willing to trust God's ability to keep his promises even when it doesn't make sense to me? And so Isaac and his father Abraham have reached the top of this mountain. They take the the stones there. They build an altar. They arrange the wood upon it. Isaac is bound and laid on top of the wood. We reach verse 10 when Abraham reaches out with the knife in his hand and is ready to slay his son. I mean, this is the moment in which you and I should gasp, which some of us should cry out, no! No, you can't do this. God, you cannot ask this of him. This is not okay. The moment when, when the promises of God seem to have failed, we want to shout, no! And then we have the voice from heaven in verse 11. Abraham, Abraham, here I am. Not yet a response of comfort. Not yet a knowledge of what what God is about to do. 
And yet God himself has intervened. Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. God, speaking from heaven, intervenes and stops the knife. Abraham is commended for his fear of God. That faith, not not the the frightening, the, the way you and I would use the word fear, of somebody jumping out and startling us, but this fear as a as a as a deep-seated honor and respect of who God is, reflected in worship and obedience to God. God says, Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And Abraham's life is a significant one in the Bible. It's one, his story is repeated for us over and over again through the rest of the scriptures. The God, God himself is called the God of Abraham. Abraham is is held up for us as an example of faith. But if we had to summarize Abraham's life by one moment, now surely his obituary would be much lengthier. It would would be written out in length. But in that year-end review, of those who have passed away, if you had to summarize Abraham's life in, in one sentence, it would be here. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. This is a summary of radical faith, of unlimited obedience, of, of Abraham willingly saying to God, I will trust you and follow you. See, what the, what the story of, of Genesis 22 tells us is that God himself will allow for no rivals to his glory. God will not take second place to anything in your life. See, if we were to examine your life, we, we could very quickly get to the bad things in your life that, that you and I would agree, yeah, we should get rid of those. See, but, 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 but this story moves us beyond the, the bad things, the obviously wrong things in our lives, to the good things in life. The love of a father for a son. But God will not allow the love of Abraham for Isaac to supersede Abraham's love for God. God will not take second place. He will now allow no rivals for our affection. He wants us to to put him in in the preeminent spot, to love him more than we love others. And don't you see the love of a father for a son is a good thing. If you see my son, he's, he's probably back helping his, his mother in junior church today. If you see him today, he is super excited because we went to the, the pet store yesterday. He's been working on me for years. And Sam came home with a new pet. I mean, he has a guinea pig that lives in our house. I might have to move out, but the pig is going to stay. See, the love of, when he, when he looked up at me, and there's that, 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 that I finally, after years of, of he and his mother convincing me, it, and I'm just in the, like, at least it's not a dog phase right now. See, but the love of a father for a son is a good thing. But if that, if that becomes the ultimate thing, if it pushes God out of, out of the, the prominent place in your life, then, it, then it's a, a terrible thing. God will allow no rivals for his affection. And think of the way we do it, not just in relationships, but in the stuff of this life, the things that we've accumulated. We, we, can, we can look at our stuff and say, well, hey, look, this says something about me. I have achieved enough success 
to have all of this. And you, you're not arrogant enough to actually say that out loud when people show up to your house. Well, hopefully you're not. But perhaps the way in which you present it, that's the thing in your heart. I mean, what is it in your life that God would say to you? You have to give that up. What's the, what's the place in your life where you would say, no, not that? But maybe it's not because we hold on to these things because they, it shows what, how great we are, our own success. We hold on to them because it shows us, it, it, it gives us this illusion of control. That if I have enough stuff, if I have enough zeros at the end of the statement, then I will be certain and secure moving forward. I can be the one who is in control. But this story here is showing us that God will not allow anything else in our lives. And so maybe for you, like Jesus spoke to that rich man who came to him, who asked, well, what must I do? Jesus, knowing that, that for this man, the things of this life were, were the most important thing, said, give it all up. Sell it all. Get rid of it. The man wouldn't. He failed the test Jesus put in front of him. But here do you see Abraham asked by God to give up his son, was willing. But more than that, he was willing to give up the promise itself. Willing to give up not merely a beloved son, but this promise that God had been making over the course of these decades. Willing to set it aside and say, God, I will trust you even more than the things that you have given me. Even more than the blessings that have come from you, I will trust you. So Abraham has passed this test because we see the provision that God offers. Abraham in verse 13. Having been stopped by God from slaughtering his son, in verse 13 we read that he looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. How convenient. Perhaps we should have noticed this on our way up the mountain when we were having that conversation about how God would provide. No, no, no. It's not that they overlooked this before. This is the provision from God. Like in the chapter before ours, in chapter 21, when, when Hagar looks up and sees that there is a well of water there. The provision of God, able to see it as a blessing from God. And so in verse 13, this provision from God. Abraham, we're told, then went over, took the ram, and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. There was a provision from God, a sacrifice so that his son could live. And that's a story that would have made perfect sense to the people reading this. Moses is speaking this to the Exodus community. The people who were told, you will have to take a lamb and slaughter it and take its blood and put it on the doorpost of your house so that your firstborn sons will live. That command given in the book of Exodus was then a perpetual command to the people of God that they were to dedicate their firstborn sons to God by offering a sacrifice in place of their sons. That's the story of the Passover, the Exodus, the rescue of God's people. That God is the one who provided. So much so that Abraham changes the name of the place. The Lord will provide. This is the place where God provided for him, for his son. He, so, so he names it the Lord will provide. 
He's showing his trust is in God. And, and the, the blessing that comes from God in this chapter is not merely the provision of a, of a lamb so that his son is spared. It's the reaffirmation of the promises that come in verse 15. When God speaks a second time from heaven and then says, I swear by myself, declares the Lord. That all of the promises that have been made, those promises are sure and certain. See, God is the only person in the universe who can say, there is no one greater that I could swear by. If, if you really wanted to convince me, you would say, I swear by, by my mother's name, by, by the, the, the grave of someone I love. You would put your hand on a Bible and say, I, I really mean it. But God, when he wants us to hear his promises, I swear by myself, by the authority of, of, of my own authority. I created the heavens and the earth. I am making this promise. I'm affirming this promise that because you have done this, because you have obeyed me, that the promises are guaranteed for you and the generations which will follow you. So the story of Genesis 22 is the promise of God's provision. The fact that God shows himself to be a faithful God. But even more than that, we see not only that Abraham trusted that God would provide, that he knew somehow he and Isaac would come back down, we get, a, we get a further glimpse of what he was thinking if we turn all the way to the back of our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. So tur turn with me there. Hebrews is, is near the back of your Bible, written to give us a picture of what faith looks like. And in Hebrews chapter 11, we have this story of Genesis 22 summarized for us. And it gives us a further understanding of, of what Abraham believed. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17. Hebrews eleven seventeen. we see the faith of Abraham. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He would receive the promises, was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. See, Abraham not only thought that God would provide a way out for him, he believed he would have to kill his son. But the God is the God who could raise the dead. And yet where had God said that to Abraham? Abraham believed it just knowing something about who God is. You and I have been given it directly that God is the God who raises the dead. See, Abraham was stopped short of the sacrifice, but God willingly offered his only son. Isaac's life was spared from the sacrifice, but Jesus willingly gave his life for us. See, Abraham responded in faith, even with only a glimpse of the gospel story. You and I have the whole story unfolded for us. The death of Jesus Christ, his resurrection from the dead. We have the fullness of the gospel announced to us. The resurrection is our great hope. We have sung the words this morning. We have recited them in our creeds. Christ is risen from the dead. When Cameron Cole met his wife at the hospital, he says that they're led into, into the resuscitation room to say goodbye to their child for the last time. Cameron says it was the, the worst 20-yard walk 
from the entrance to the room that I could ever have imagined. As I turn the corner, I see the white blonde curly locks and boyish frame. The body of my precious son is lying lifeless on the hospital bed. For ten minutes, I hold my sweet little boy's body, weeping on my knees on that frigid tile floor, I tell my son goodbye. In the horror of that moment, Cameron explains, then, it was as if the Lord came up from behind me, placed his hands on my shoulders, and lifted me from the ground. Amid my despair, a rush of the Spirit struck through my heart, and I felt an unrehearsed utterance coming from my mouth. Something that he, that he couldn't have even imagined saying. He says, with my hand on my little boy's chest, I declare to the doctors and nurses in the room, if Christ isn't risen, then I am completely lost right now. I have no hope, and I am finished. But you know what? Christ is risen from the dead. It's true. This little boy is in heaven, and I will see him again. The situation stinks but I'm going to make it because Christ is really risen and God really is good. I have hope. You heard the key sentence. Christ is risen from the dead. In the great tragedies of life, we have hope. Christ is risen from the dead. In the moments where faith is needed, we have a Savior who provides for us. We read that by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. By faith, we find hope in the resurrection of Jesus. Christ is risen from the dead. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we, we feel the, the sorrow of this life. Lord, as we imagine the terrors through which we have walked, as we remember the pain that we have experienced, we cling to this hope this resurrection hope, that you are the God who raises the dead. You are the God who has provided for us through Jesus. And so, Lord, give us a faith to believe. Where our faith feels weak, let us see the strength of our Savior. Let your Spirit cause us to rise in bold faith, trusting you, willing to follow you. Lord, we need your gospel to transform us. We need your power and your hope. Lord, let us see the good news of the gospel, the grace of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And so we come praying in his name. Amen.